Let's take a second to think back to last week and the parable that Jesus told. We heard Jesus tell a group of Pharisees the parable of the two sons. If you remember, one son says he won't do something, but then chooses to do it anyway. And the other says he'll do it, but doesn't do anything. Jesus asked the Pharisees, which one did the will of the Father? The one who did the work, right? This question Jesus asks is in the midst of the great confrontation in the temple in Jerusalem, right after Jesus triumphantly enters into the city on Palm Sunday. Jesus has just come into Jerusalem, and the Pharisees are trying to trap him. And Jesus instead traps them. His trap leads them to lose face, to lie, and to cover their backsides. And he presses them again. Is it about doing the right thing or claiming the right intention? Turns out the Pharisees know the truth the whole time, just as we do sitting here. This morning, Jesus tells that same group of Pharisees another parable about a landowner who sets up a vineyard and leaves tenants to care for it. But when the landowner sends his servants back to check on the tenants, the tenants brutally attack them. So the landowner sends more, and the same violence occurs. And then in desperation, that landowner sends his son. But even his son is subjected to the same violence, and is eventually murdered. So when Jesus speaks of the landowner's response to these tenants, that he gave them, what, three tries to do the right thing? He asks them rhetorically, what do you think the landowner should do in response? They tell them the unsurprising response is that the guilty tenants would be tortured and killed. Now at this point in the story, most of us have some sort of ingrained Christian programming that starts to kick in. The little voice we hear in our heads says that this story is just an allegory for God and for Jesus. The landowner sends his son to die. That's obviously Jesus talking about himself and his upcoming crucifixion. Or perhaps that little voice tells us, well, that's why we're supposed to do what God tells us to do. Or else we'll find ourselves punished like those tenants were. And somehow through all of that, we kind of ignore that massive implication about a God that would torture and kill God's own children. I hear those voices too sometimes, but I also hear a different voice. One that reminds me that Jesus doesn't always speak directly or plainly. Jesus does not speak in the black and white language of law, but in the allegorical and poetic language of story. And in Jesus' story we hear this morning, he reveals something really important to us about God and God's kingdom by showing us an example of the heavenly kingdom breaking into our own world. You see, I do not believe that the vineyard in this parable is supposed to be the kingdom of God. And I do not believe that the landowner is supposed to represent God. This is not a story of the world that God 
has created. But instead, it's the world that we have created and that we keep creating. And Jesus reveals how the kingdom of God can even work through our worldly mess. When Jesus introduces the story, he says, there was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press, and built a watchtower. Now, I'm no authority on vineyard construction, but the ones that I've been to in my life were not really built like the one Jesus talks about this morning. The vineyards I have seen, and I assume most of us imagine, are wide open spaces with beautiful entrances and great stately chateaus and are welcoming for anyone to come and visit. I can't think of a single winery that is surrounded by a fence or a wall, and certainly none that have any type of watchtower guarding the property. Well, you know what kind of places do have fences and watchtowers? Prisons? What's more, Earlier in the same gospel, Jesus tells his disciples what it truly means to forgive someone that has done us wrong, and how often we are called to forgive that person. Not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Remember that? The landowner we hear about in this morning's parable doesn't forgive anyone, and certainly does not come anywhere near forgiving as many times as Jesus tells us to. So, this parable Jesus is telling the Pharisees is not a clear picture of the kingdom of God. Instead, it's a painfully clear picture of the world as the Pharisees know it and have made it. Brutal, selfish, destructive. Not at all the way God wants or says it should be. Remember then who Jesus says gets to be first in the kingdom of God? The tax collectors and the sinners. Or, more directly, the traitors and the prostitutes get to go first. They get the highest place. We still, of course, get in, but we have to wait our turn. After he tells the parable, Jesus quotes the Pharisees from their own scripture, from the Torah. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is not just about Jesus, but about God's vision for the world as God's kingdom. Those who our world considers rejects will actually end up being first. It is time, Jesus says, for those who have been ignored and pushed aside to finally have their say. In God's kingdom, those who our world rejects get an opportunity to shape that world's future. Now, I know many of us might take a little offense when we hear Jesus tell a parable like this. Surely Jesus is not telling us that we are as bad as those Pharisees, is he? Surely we would never act with such retribution as that landowner did in that parable. Would we? It's an important for us to remember that this is a parable and should be read as such. Plus, that primary audience for Jesus' parable was, in fact, those Pharisees who were trying to maintain that 
religious status as the authorities. But it can still be helpful for us sitting here this morning to think about those implications of Jesus' words and how they can relate to our lives today. We are not called to act with vengeance like that landowner did. And that vineyard was, in fact, nothing like the kingdom of God. These observations can help redirect our lives when we realize that our priorities and our expectations don't exactly line up with the way that God has planned. Once our shortcomings come to light, we can then turn our lives back towards Christ and chart a different course. As humans, especially living in today's conflicted and confusing world, we always can use reminders of what God's kingdom does and does not look like and who it is for. We need reminders that in God's house, there are many, many rooms. And we need reminders that we are all welcome. And that knowledge is just not limited to those worshiping here this morning. We sometimes need reminders that other people are welcome too. People we may not be so excited to have with us. People that might behave in different ways. People that communicate different expectations. But once this abundant love and forgiveness has become an ingrained part of our hearts and our minds, then we will finally be able to live fully into our true calling as people who are followers of Jesus Christ. People that are called to care for God's kingdom. People that are called to celebrate our guests and our tenants. And people who are called to give rest to the sojourner. May we all grow into our calling as ambassadors of Christ's love with hope with honesty and with thanksgiving.